Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Lord God, author of our great story, open our hearts and minds this day to the truth you revealed through the words of Jesus. Through your spirit, make these readings come alive, not only in our imagination, but in the work of our daily lives, till all the world reflects your kingdom. Amen. The scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for the vineyard. After he agreed with the workers to pay them a denarian, he sent them into his vineyard. Then he went out around nine in the morning and saw others standing around the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And they went. Again around noon and then at three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. Around five in the afternoon, he went and found others standing around and he said to them, why are you just standing around here doing nothing all day long? Because nobody has hired us, they replied. He responded, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the workers and give them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and moving on finally to the first. When those who were hired at five in the afternoon came, each one received a denarion. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarion. When they received it, they grumbled against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked one hour and they received the same pay as we did, even though we had to work the whole day in the hot sun. But he replied to one of them, friend, I did no wrong. Didn't I agree to pay you a denarion? Take what belongs to you and go. I want to give this to one who was hired last the same as I give to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you resentful because I'm generous? So those who are last will be first and those who are first will be last. The word of God, word of God. for the people of God. So that last phrase, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first, kind of gives us an idea that the logic that the gospel has is not always the logic that we find in the world. I remember coming to a church as the new pastor. The church was going to welcome our family with a potluck supper, a uh, lunch after service. As we got into the fellowship hall, um, there was that uncomfortable silence after the blessing. Who's going to go first in the line? And one of um, the women of the church, probably the woman who was in charge of the potluck supper, uh, came over to me and said, now, pastor, you're our honored guest. Why don't you and your family go first? 
And I paused, uh, thinking that a little humor might be appropriate. And I said, now in scripture, in the gospels, Jesus says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. I think I'll wait. There was no laughter, (laughs) kind of like with (laughs) y'all. The logic of the gospel is different. Uh, It doesn't seem to follow uh, the same idea that we think. Uh, And Jesus tells a parable uh, to kind of illustrate uh, what I like to call God's economy. We're taught uh, from a very young age uh, that the early bird gets the worm, that if you work hard, if you put in your time, that a promotion is yours to have, that those who study hard for the test get the best grade. And for those who put in their years of service, uh, there is a, a watch or a, a reward uh, or a retirement to go to. Uh, But in this particular parable, uh, Jesus turns upside down all of those great instructions that we received from our parents. Uh, In this story, uh, Jesus tells about a landowner who goes and hires a a number of workers and asks them to work for a day's wage. Now, a denarian was an appropriate amount of money, right? It was a coin that represented a day's wage. And so uh, to pay someone a day's wage of a denarian made complete sense to the early workers that were hired to start working at the beginning of the day. As it came to be the middle of the morning, uh, the landowner found some other people who were looking for work, and he hired them as well, put them to work in the same task. As it came to be noon, he found some more people willing to be hired, and so he hired them and had them work as well on the same project. And then at the very end of the day, uh, he hires a few more workers and puts them to work on the same project that everyone else was working on as well. Now in scripture, in the Old Testament, Leviticus says, do not withhold a worker his wages overnight. And so the landowner, as Jesus tells the story, abides by scripture and pays the workers uh, what they are due. And he pays the ones who showed up last first. And so he pays a, a day's wage to the one who came right at the end, a day's wage to those who came at noon, a day's wage for those who slept in and showed up at mid-morning, and a day's wage for those who were dutiful, who were the early birds, to get the worm. Now, I imagine inside your mind, it's already happening, that for those who showed up first, they became five-year-olds and said, it's not fair. It's not fair. We worked just harder than the others, longer than the others, and you gave the one who shows up last a full day's wage, and they didn't do a day's worth of work. I can remember at a very young age, um, having these moments, I was a younger brother. Uh, I had a sister who was older. I remember that when uh, it didn't fall my way to be equal, I was quick to say, it's not fair. And my dad would look at me and say, it's good, you're right. The world's not fair. And the sooner you learn it, the better off you'll be. It's not fair. We want so badly for uh, everything to be um, doled out to us in equal portions. I I can remember at our house, um, if there was a last piece of cake, one person would cut it and the other got to choose which piece you got. 
right? That's instituted fairness right there, right? If you're, if you're gonna cut the piece, boy, you're gonna make sure it's right down the middle, because if not, someone else is gonna take that larger piece. So much of our lives is structured around getting what's ours, getting what we deserve, getting the fair share, the, the fair shake, the equal piece. We become quite focused on the idea of fairness. But fairness is not a kingdom concept. Fairness is not a word that uh, shows up in the gospel. Uh, in fact, the kind of concepts that show up in the gospel are around generosity and mercy and grace and also justice. Now, if we do a little bit of vocabulary around this particular parable, uh, justice is the idea that we get what we deserve. And scripture says what we deserve is uh, the wages of sin are death, right? Because we are imperfect, sinful creatures, justice for us would be getting what we deserve. Now, you know, in everybody's house, there are consequences for actions, right? Uh, in fact, in most homes, uh, there's a timeout for kids, right? Uh, for every minute, uh, let's see, minute of life. Every year of life, there's a minute of timeout. And you can say to yourself that, I, that when I'm punished, I don't feel good. I feel bad. Well, at our house, we'd say that's true, right? You made a poor choice, and now you're experiencing the consequences. It's a form of, of justice, right, that you get what you deserve. Now, in, in my mind, it occurs to me that it's not about feeling good or feeling bad, but about feeling right, that if your uh, kid cries out from uh, um, being in timeout, uh, in fact, um, at our house, being in timeout is worse than anything else because we're a bunch of extroverts, and in timeout, you can't talk to anybody. You have to be silent. It's kind of hard for a preacher to be silent, especially for the 41 minutes of timeout. <laughs> it's not about feeling good or, oh, my wife just said 42. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. So it's not about feeling good or feeling bad, it's about feeling right. And if you're experiencing the consequences of your actions, what you deserve, you're feeling right, even though you may be feeling bad. Another kingdom concept vocabulary word would be the idea of mercy. Mercy is what we receive from Jesus on the cross. It is not receiving what we deserve. That if your uh, sentence is commuted, if you are uh, let free from prison, if your debts have been forgiven, if you have been let out of the consequences that you deserve, that's a form of mercy. But see, we receive more than mercy. We receive the, the generosity of God. God doesn't just treat us as forgiven criminals, but rather treats us as adopted children of his household. And so grace... <laughs> Grace is that word that typifies um, we get what we never deserved. We get what we never deserved. And so when we think about a, a, a little bit of a project for you this afternoon, write three sentences that typify the def definition of grace. I've been surprised as I ask around, even other pastors, define for me in three sentences what grace means. We, we kind of stumble over it. We're not really sure how to typify, how to describe, how to characterize a gift that we never deserved, that's more overwhelming than we could ever imagine. You could take the letters of grace, and that's a beginning, God's riches, 
at Christ's expense. It's getting what we never deserved. So as we spend our time uh, thinking about fairness and thinking about how best to um, capitalize on our entitlements, the economy of God is about treating all as if they are children, all as if they are adopted. Now this plays out in a lot of different ways. I've seen it in small towns uh, when you, uh, the, uh, the um, let's see, the folk who were there as pioneers they made all the decisions and they're the ones that you look to. It's kind of that E.F. Hutton moment, right? Some of y'all remember E.F. Hutton commercials. When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen, right? But when the newer crowd comes in, when people uh, build a house on the outskirts of town and start showing up at the city council meetings, start uh, suggesting new ideas, the, those newcomers, where did they come from? How, what right do they have to make a change in our community? Happens in churches as well. How many of us have said, you know, I was here when the first sanctuary was built, and I can't believe that someone who hasn't been here until just now would assume to make a decision for the rest of us, right? We kind of think uh, about the workers in the vineyard along the lines of entitlement and what we deserve and what's fair. But God's economy is one of forgiveness and grace. It is one of giving us what we never deserved. One of my favorite stories about the gospel logic, this kind of turn about the first being last and the last being first, that God doesn't see the world like we see the world, the story of uh, Henry Nouwen, a really renowned Harvard theologian, a wonderful writer, deep thinker, um, got tired of the hollowed halls of Harvard Divinity School and left and started a community called Daybreak uh, there outside of town. It was there that they lived with uh, able-bodied and able-minded folk, lived with um, a differently able-bodied and differently able-minded uh, folk. Together they made a community. And now, this was interesting for Henry Nowen, because when he would sit down at the table to eat with the community uh, as the chaplain, no one thought about the books upon books that he had offered. Nobody thought about the years of tenure that he had had at Harvard Divinity School. No one worried or thought about those things. Actually, in fact, they made up their mind about whether they liked him in that moment. If he wore a red shirt and it wasn't their favorite color, they didn't want to sit by Henry Nowen. It's a completely different world. Henry, as the chaplain, uh, wrote about this uh, in the book, uh, In the Name of Jesus, that when no one considers your last accomplishments, but only considers your presence at the table, you no longer have to struggle for the temptation of relevancy, and instead you just experience the love in the moment. A great example of the way uh, Henry thought about uh, Daybreak uh, was he, um, he would often visit folk when they were in the hospital. Uh, one young boy, 12 years old, named Trevor, uh, was actually committed to a psychiatric hospital for a time for treatment. And so Henry, being the good chaplain, decided he would go and visit in the hospital. He'd never visited in this hospital before, so he called ahead of time. The person who answered the phone was astute enough to know that it was Henry Nowen, the renowned theologian from Harvard, and so um, found out when he was coming and planned a dignitary's lunch in the boardroom of the hospital for Henry Nowen. 
As Henry walks in to make his hospital visit, he is surprised to see banners and administrators that all of the top psychiatrists and doctors were there in the waiting room. And really all he wanted was to see Trevor as they escorted him up to the boardroom, there to have a beautiful uh, dinner uh, or lunch uh, together with the staff, all of the dignitaries present. He walked into the room and he said, where's Trevor? Then in fact, he waited and said, if you'll bring Trevor, Trevor can have lunch with us. And there was an uncomfortable silence in the room. What? We cannot take someone who's committed to a psychiatric facility and set them down at a table with other people. What will happen? So he waited until Trevor came. Trevor came and sat down and during the whole meal was wonderfully uh, behaved. Uh, in the middle of the meal, Trevor stands up, grabs his water glass, takes his fork and ding, ding, dings on it. And the room got silent with a little bit of a nervous laughter, wondering what was about to happen. Trevor lifts his glass and he says, I'd like to make a toast. If you're happy and you know it, take a sip. <laughs> and so Henry took a sip and slowly everyone else did what the renowned theologian from Harvard Divinity School did. They welcomed Trevor as an equal. You see, that's God's economy. No matter what we've done, no matter where we are, no matter how horribly we've failed, it's not about what we've done or not done. I appreciate the music uh, today. It was beautiful. But that little bit about it's going to come a fire, a fire of love, right? A fire of love that rescues and redeems us. Uh, that the kind of God that we serve is not the kind of God that's seeking to catch us doing bad, but one who's interested in rescuing us so that we can do good. I love that part in the parable uh, where the landowner says, I promised you a day's wage and I paid you a day's wage. I've not cheated you. And who's to say what I can do with what belongs to me? I can choose to pay whoever I want, whatever I want. You see, there's that equal footing. We worry so much about getting the, uh, being the early bird that gets the worm, being the, the person with the best work ethic or the hardest worker. But in reality, the only task that we must do is learn how to receive that amazing gift called grace. And you can watch throughout church history. We try so hard to make it more about something else than just about receiving grace. Because in our world, in our culture, we do not know what it means to accept a gift larger than we could ever imagine that we know we don't deserve. So friends, I hope as you take your next step, that that next step might be focused in on finding a way to receive it's all we have to do, that amazing gift of grace, a love more than just mercy, a love more than just the avoidance of justice, but truly an amazing gift of grace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.
Friends, Chapelwood United Methodist Church exists to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. We hope that your uh, next step uh, might be uh, out these doors and over to 1 Wesley Drive in Clute, Texas. At 12.30, we're going to have a picnic lunch uh, at the food basket. You don't have to bring anything. Bring yourself and your appetite and have an opportunity to sit there um, to uh, share a meal with each other, uh, with clients from the food basket, and also from members at um, the uh, Wesley Memorial First United Methodist Church there in Clute, Texas. Uh, we look forward to the time of community together uh, while we learn a little bit about the food basket and also a little bit about the garden that surrounds it. I also uh, wonder if you've gotten a copy uh, of the journal, the Summer Journal for Parables. Uh, there's wonderful activities in here for uh, every age uh, and also uh, some great ways to process and get involved in activities throughout the summer. Uh, each week as we look at different parables, there's a different group within the church who's helped us think about a way to live out and to respond to that parable. Uh, so I hope that you will um, pick up one of these. You can find them on the back table. Uh, also, the activities are written in such a way that no matter where you are, um, whether you're visiting grandparents uh, on vacation in Honolulu, wherever, uh, you can have an opportunity to be plugged in and connected with what we're doing. In fact, if you take a trip, we'd love for you to do a, a selfie video uh, and tell us where you are, what you're doing, and how you're staying connected with God. If you'll even mail it to the church office. We'll run it as uh, kind of videos from, um, uh, from friends, I guess, postcards from someplace else. Uh, all right, uh, that didn't work so well. Anyways, also, if today is the day that you would like to take your first step, whether that first step is to uh, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or to join this congregation, uh, we'd love for you to come forward, talk with one of the pastors. We'd love to plan for the day that you join the congregation. Uh, but for now, why don't we join together in singing our closing song, Freely Freely. You can find it in your hymnals on page 389, and David Hill will lead us. I see Mike Moss coming up. He'll be our Stephen minister here. Um, if you would like someone to pray with you uh, or to arrange care for yourself or someone you love, Mike's here to represent the Stephen ministers. And there's a prayer chapel behind that uh, door. If you'd like to have some quiet moments of prayer, uh, you're welcome to do that as well. Uh, grab a hand next to you for our closing benediction. You don't have to hold everybody's hand, but hold somebody's hand. Almighty God, we give thanks that you love us not for what we do or don't do, but for who we are. And so Lord, as you give that amazing grace to us, send us out into the world to share with others the logic and love of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.